Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to be answering the question, who should be conducting an intervention? But before we jump into that topic, let me remind you of uh, what we have available for you at PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community for people helpers who are interested in approaching the problem of domestic abuse from a gospel-centered perspective. PeaceWorks University has a wide variety, a vault of past teachings from myself, conversations with experts in the field, toolbox items to help you in your counseling and care, monthly Q&As, and so much more. So if you have benefited from the PeaceWorks podcast, then perhaps PeaceWorks University is your next best step. All right, let's jump into today's topic. Um, the, The question is, who should be conducting interventions. This is actually a much larger question that came into PeaceWorks University. I'm going to go ahead and read the question as written and then try to summarize uh, my thoughts here in the next uh, 20 minutes or so. The questioner writes, should men who have been accused or self-identified abu- or self-identified as abusive be engaging in perpetrator intervention work with other men while they are simultaneously walking the road of repentance themselves. And so the questioner has heard of men who are in the early stages of awareness, who are you know, stepping into the work that they need to do themselves on their own heart, and at the same time have begun or expressed a desire in helping others. They go on to ask, how might this be dangerous and what are the risks? And so I think in order to to really effectively answer the question, I think we should really address who should be conducting interventions with perpetrators in particular or or specifically. I would say that individuals who are going to engage in the work of perpetrator accountability and interventions should first of all uh, be at least somewhat equipped. They should be trained in one, how to conduct an intervention, and in two, the dynamics and impact of abuse. I think it requires somebody who has a knowledge of abuse, its dynamics and its impact before they make an attempt to confront a perpetrator of abuse. In the same vein, uh, that individual really should express a level of maturity. And what I mean by that is if you consider, for instance, James, or not James, Galatians, excuse me, Galatians chapter six as kind of the scriptural pattern for intervention, you know that Paul instructs the Galatians, uh, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore such a one. He also gives a warning that these spiritual individuals, right, should watch themselves so that they will not be tempted in the same way in which the person they're intervening you know, on the behalf of is being tempted. In other words, hey, guard your heart when you step into an intervention. 
So he begins by saying, if you're stepping into this work, you really should have a level of spiritual maturity. Uh, the passage will go on to talk about um, things such as you know God not being mocked, that people will reap what they sow, uh, that we shouldn't get discouraged in doing good work. And so it's really important, I think, for uh, someone conducting an intervention to be spiritually mature themselves. And so let's go back to the heart of the question. Should a perpetrator of abuse or a recent perpetrator of abuse who's doing their own work, wrestling with their own heart, asking questions of themselves, simultaneously be engaged in helping another? If that help is direct intervention, direct care, then my answer would be no. Uh, That individual should be focusing on their own work. Not only is their own heart at stake, not only is their own maturity uh, at stake, but so is the safety and sanity of their partner, the longevity and stability of their family, and the name and honor of Jesus Christ. And so if you're listening today and you're a perpetrator, you have acknowledged your abuse, you're seeking help for your abusive behavior, and at the same time, you're learning so much that you want to share with others, you want to be a help to others, uh, please look for ways other, you know, than leading an intervention or directly being involved in someone else's care. Now, uh, let me back up for just a second. Does that mean that perpetrators have nothing to say to the work? Absolutely, uh, absolutely not. That that's not the case. Is what I should say. There is much that perpetrators can do in the work. So, um, what are some ways in which this individual in the question? could participate in intervention. Well, the, the key way, the most effective way I can see in taking part in helping others is by participating in group work. Most perpetrator groups are run on the premise of group facilitated discussion and group accountability. And so it is possible to enter into a group not as a leader, not as a facilitator, not as an expert, but as a client, as someone who needs help. And at the same time, participating in group facilitated discussion in such a way that other men benefit. In fact, in my mind, that's the only way that a perpetrator who has yet to complete their process, who has yet to come out the other side of a successful intervention, should be engaged in intervention work. As peers, as uh, individuals existing in a, a mutually beneficial environment of accountability. I see this all the time in the work that I do in intervention groups. You'll have especially cyclical groups, which are very common, where men come into the group at any given point in time. So if you're dealing with a 28-week program, for instance, you may have a guy who's been in the program for 26 weeks, a guy who's been there for 20 weeks, a guy who's been there for 15, and a guy who's there for his second week. It's totally feasible, acceptable, and expected for the guy who is nearing the end of his programming If he has taken hold of his own abusive behaviors, he's making significant changes, he's attempting to be a person who is safe, to speak into the life of the guy who's at week two or week three. That would be an acceptable approach. But to the questioner's point, the notion or the thought or the idea that a perpetrator could themselves start a group, facilitate a group, or conduct counseling or coaching with another man who's abusive, while he himself has not completed his process 
or uh, has not finished the work that he has started seems dangerous to me and also seems like a good opportunity for that said man to to soften, to minimize, uh, to deny the extent of his own abuse. Now, I say this, and the questioner rightfully says, you know, I've heard from men in the early stages of awareness being broken of this issue, wanting to jump into the work. I would say that makes a lot of sense. Sometimes when we're learning something, we get really excited. When we're recognizing something about ourselves, we find a level of success. We see the need and want to step in to help. This is not just true of perpetrators, but have you seen this play out in, say, the world of addiction? where an addict has some success in recovery, finds themselves sober for a brief but significant period of time, and then decides they want to go back and help their addict friends recover. Now, we all know from the outside looking in, that's a dangerous prospect. While that individual knows the world, they know what their um, friends are experiencing, they have a level of empathy that perhaps those of us who are not uh, addicts or substance users will ever have, it is still unwise for them to enter into that work. They must first uh, experience sobriety at an extended level. They must first be walking in recovery for a long period of time. They need to get proper training, proper education, and be vetted properly because we don't want them to fall back into the same temptation. Galatians 6. What about victims who, uh, or survivors who jump into advocacy while still attempting to heal and recover from their own abuse. Oh, we think that victims and survivors are stellar advocates. I actually think survivors make wonderful advocates. However, without taking the appropriate time and measure and energy uh, to do your own work, you could find yourself um, projecting, being you know, doing more harm than good in some ways, and possibly being overwhelmed by the stress of another's story. It's important that victims and survivors take the time before they jump into advocacy. And there's no reason why any victim or survivor should feel the need to become an advocate. It's okay to simply live your life without being involved in the work. That's fine. To our question today, if that's true of of folks struggling with addiction, if that's true of those who've been harmed, and yet have a very strong desire to help. It must and is certainly true of those who are perpetrators of violence. Uh, There are definitely risks to this idea of stepping into perpetrator work if you yourself are not fully repentant or complete with your your process. Now, granted, I've heard of some guys who say have gone gone through group-facilitated discussion. They've gone through... Um, maybe Duluth model groups or Emerge model model groups and have come out the other side with new perspective. They've experienced transformation and change. And then following their experience, they began to study and learn. They began to go to advocacy uh, training academies or they began to go into equipping work to learn how to be a group facilitator. And there are some great success stories out there of former perpetrators who now are safe and productive and uh, you know, experienced change that has been evidenced over time who are now helping others experience that change. But one thing I suspect they would all say is that it was important for them to be removed from the group to complete the process before they engaged 
uh, in the helping profession or the helping stage. So yes, to answer the question, I do think it's dangerous uh, for men who are in the process of being confronted and held accountable to then seek to become an expert in that field and a people helper in that field. I think the risks are to their own heart and their own soul. I also think the risks are to the individuals that they try to help, but primarily to themselves as they are uh, over-functioning in a way. Now, have I ever seen it? Yeah, I think I've seen some guys jump the gun on this. I don't know that um, I can highlight any specifics, but I have had some interaction with some men who uh, came to some conclusions. They understood to an extent that they had been abusive. They acknowledged, again, to an extent, their own sin. And as they dug into the work, as they began to read and interact, they decided that they wanted to write, that they wanted to speak, that they wanted to become an expert in the work. But the problem is there was still a person out there who did not see them as an expert, who did not see them as somebody who was growing in their knowledge of the problem. They saw them as their abuser. Uh, There was no attempts to produce real repentance. There was no attempts to make restitution. There was no attempts to, to make things right that they had set wrong. Instead, there was an excitement about categories and information that they were learning. And to me, to be excited about a subject matter is not enough to step into the world of helping, especially if you are still known as someone who is hurting others. I hope that adds at least some clarity to the question. Uh, Should men uh, who are in their own work and their own process engage in helping others? I don't think so. I think there's possibility down the road. I think that potential is there if they do their own work and do it well. But I don't think it's something that should happen simultaneously. And I certainly don't think it's something that should happen in close proximity. Who should be helping? It should be mature people. I believe mature men and women should be stepping into the work of perpetrator intervention. Uh, I I believe it can happen in uh, community-based settings, such as batterer intervention programs. I think it can happen in counseling settings, although I would prefer a team-based approach. I believe it can and should happen in church-based settings uh, under the direction of um, individuals who are trained in the dynamics and impact of abuse. Uh, But no, I would not recommend that somebody currently in the process uh, begin any type of ministry or expertise uh, to others who are, are struggling in the same way, others who are sinning in the same way. It just seems um, super risky to me. I think the other thing in the question that I want to highlight real quick is the questioner indicates that this person or these people interested in now helping others in the same way that they feel that they are being helped is a level of brokenness. But I think we need to understand that in this type of world, when you've harmed someone so significantly as domestic abuse, um, brokenness is measured far more than uh, contrition. And it is very possible that someone can be confronted with the dynamics and impact of abuse in general and be saddened by that reality and saddened by their participation in it. But that does not necessarily mean that we're dealing with a broken person, someone who is truly 
repentant and prepared to uh, to move forward. And that is why time is so important. And so when I read a question like this, the image I've got in my mind is a a guy who's been confronted. He's been confronted with good information. That information is compelling and moving. And in his um, immediate zeal to make things right, he wants to help others. Um, But that doesn't happen in the course of a few weeks. He must first internalize, self-reflect, and do his own work uh, and do that work to its completion uh, before he's even considered uh, ready to, to move on. And if we use Galatians 6 as kind of our rubric for that, our pattern for that, then certainly we would have to say that spiritual maturity does not come through awareness alone. Awareness is merely one piece of, um, of spiritual maturity. I was just speaking to our congregation recently about how grace is, is salvific, absolutely, but it's also transformative. And so someone can experience the grace of God, the favor of God that uh, they do not deserve, um, and it can lead to redemption. It, it can lead to setting things right that were once wrong, but it does not indicate maturity. There is still a process of sanctification that must begin and be sustained through the life of a believer. And that's why we call for uh, perpetrators who engage with the gospel to not only evidence or show that initial repentance, that pivot point or that turning point, but demonstrate the fruits of repentance through uh, observable, uh, long-standing patterns of time and so that we can see over time that there's significant, genuine, demonstrative change. And I think it would be unfair to clients, it would be unfair to that individual themselves to try to simultaneously produce that change in themselves while compelling others to join in. The best way in which a growing, changing individual can move, that's moving from abuse to, to gentleness, let's say, or abuse to support, that can help other abusive people is by participating in group work where they are a client, a participant, not a facilitator, and that as they learn and grow and change, others can see them learn and grow and change and be an example of what life can be and how change can occur. Well, I hope that was helpful. That was a uh, unique question, uh, but I, I have seen this occasionally in the work and I hope that our answer helps the questioner and maybe you think through who should be conducting interventions. That maybe you're a pastor or a people helper and you're listening in and, and it shocks you or it surprises you uh, that, um, that even an abusive person would would listen to a novice or somebody who is just new to the work. But the reality is there are very few people doing this work. And so it is important from a Galatians 6 perspective that we as pastors, people helpers, biblical counselors, Christian counselors, engage in this work of intervention and confrontational ministry. If that's you, if, if you're ready to take that next step, let me encourage you to check out our resources at chrismoles.org. Reach out to us. Uh, consider joining PeaceWorks University because we certainly need more mature Christian responses uh, to those who do harm and perpetrate acts of abuse. Thank you guys for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. We appreciate you so much. 
Until next time, God bless.